Section 28 of Elia and the Last Essays of Elia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Elia and the Last Essays of Elia by Charles Lamb. On the Acting of Munden. Not many nights ago I had come home from seeing this extraordinary performer in Cockletop, and when I retired to my pillow, his whimsical image still stuck by me in a manner as to threaten sleep. In vain I tried to divest myself of it by conjuring up the most opposite associations. I resolved to be serious. I raised up the gravest topics of life, private misery, public calamity. All would not do there the antic sate mocking our state his queer visnomy his bewildering costume all the strange things which he had raked together his serpentine rod swagging about in his pocket cleopatra's tear and the rest of his relics o'keefe's wild farce and his wilder commentary till the passion of laughter like grief in excess relieved itself by its own weight inviting the sleep which in the first instance it had driven away. But I was not to escape so easily. No sooner did I fall into slumbers than the same image, only more perplexing, assailed me in the shape of dreams. Not one Munden, but five hundred were dancing before me, like the faces which, whether you will or no, come when you have been taking opium all the strange combinations which this strangest of all strange mortals ever shot his proper countenance into from the day he came commissioned to dry up the tears of the town for the loss of the now almost forgotten edwin oh for the power of a pencil to have fixed them when i awoke a season or two since there was exhibited a hogarth gallery I do not see why there should not be a Munden gallery. In richness and variety, the latter would not fall far short of the former. There is one face of Farley, one face of Knight, one, but what a one it is, of Liston. But Munden has none that you can properly pin down and call his. When you think he has exhausted his battery of looks, in unaccountable warfare with your gravity, suddenly he sprouts out an entirely new set of features like Hydra. He is not one, but legion. Not so much a comedian as a company. If his name could be multiplied like his countenance, he might fill a playbill. He and he alone literally makes faces, applied to any other person the phrase is a mere figure denoting certain modifications of the human countenance out of some invisible wardrobe he dips for faces as his friend suet used for wigs and fetches them out as easily i should not be surprised to see him some day put out the head of a river horse or come forth a peewit or lapwing some feathered metamorphosis I have seen this gifted actor in Sir Christopher Curry, 
in old Dornton diffuse a glow of sentiment which has made the pulse of a crowded theatre beat like that of one man. When he has come in aid of the pulpit, doing good to the moral heart of the people. I have seen some faint approaches to this sort of excellence in other players, but in the grand grotesque of farce, Munden stands out as single and unaccompanied as Hogarth. Hogarth, strange to tell, had no followers. The school of Munden began and must end with himself. Can any man wonder like him? Can any man see ghosts like him, or fight with his own shadow, Cesa, as he does in that strangely neglected thing, the cobbler of Preston, where his alternations from the cobbler to the magnifico, and from the magnifico to the cobbler, keep the brain of the spectator in as wild a ferment as if some Arabian night were being acted before him. Who like him can throw, or ever attempted to throw, a preternatural interest over the commonest daily life objects? A table or a joint stool, in his conception, rises into a dignity equivalent to Cassiope's chair. It is invested with constellatory importance. You could not speak of it with more deference, if it were mounted into the firmament. A beggar in the hands of Michelangelo, says Fuseli, rose the patriarch of poverty. So the gusto of Munden antiquates and ennobles what it touches. His pots and his ladles are as grand and primal as the seething pots and hooks seen in old prophetic vision. A tub of butter, contemplated by him, amounts to a platonic idea. He understands a leg of mutton in its quiddity. He stands wondering amid the commonplace materials of life, like primeval man with the sun and stars about him. End of section 28. Recording by Alan Mapstone.